You know, in our culture, there's some things, there's sayings, axioms is the fancy word, in our, in our world that a lot of us just say and we assume they're true, but really, when we look at them, they're not true at all. So uh, this is usually attributed to Ben Franklin, but he wasn't the first guy to write it. But what's the only sure thing in life? Death and taxes, right? Okay, we usually say that when we're frustrated with the tax bill, but that's actually not true at all. There's lots more sure things than death and taxes. Or uh, what doesn't kill you, what, what does that do? Makes you stronger. That's a fantastic Kelly Clarkson song, but it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Some things, you know, harm you <laughs> and injure you, and they leave you with wounds. That's not true. They may not kill you, but I, I don't think they necessarily make you stronger. I know what people are saying when they say that. I've said it before. Here's another one. This is actually another one that's attributed to Ben Franklin. God helps. Who does God help? Those who help themselves. Now I read a study that was done in the late 90s. A statistician contacted people and he was asking them if that sentence was from the Bible and 81% of people said yes. A lot of folks actually thought it was one of the Ten Commandments. That God helps those who help themselves. And uh, it's actually not. In fact, that sentence is, uh, that is not good news at all. <laughs> The, the gospel of Jesus is actually the complete opposite. That God helps those who cannot help themselves. Or in the words of Apostle Paul in Romans, he justifies the ungodly who come to him and are justified by faith and not by works. So that one's not true at all. Or one of the worst, this is the last one I'm going to mention. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Now, I don't remember where or how I heard this one the first time. But it is just flat out not true, and we all know it. We all know that's not true. Now, we can try to pretend that we don't care what people say or how people use words, but it's simply not true because words have power. Words have profound power. I remember names I was called or times I was mocked or picked on as a kid much better than I remember the little fights that I got in with friends and the scrapes and the bruises. Long after those bruises healed and those scrapes healed, I still can carry the scars of those words. They live in my memory. I also remember kind words, though. Kind words have that power as well. I remember uh, times when things have said, people have said incredibly encouraging things to me. It rings out in my head. Or times that people have spoken truth to me. Words have power. Part of Jesus renewing us is that we are being set free from a way of life that uses words like tools of manipulation to get what we want, to see words as a gift to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's what the ninth commandment is actually about. So with all of that said, we will read uh, Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2 verse 16. This is God's word. Good, beautiful, and true. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it you show us who you are and what you're about. And so you show us who we are in you. So I pray in these moments as we reflect and meditate 
on the beauty and the goodness of your word that you would work within our hearts to transform us, to love the Lord Jesus Christ all the more and to become like him. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, in this Ten Commandments series, I've been breaking up the, the, the sermons in the same three sections, answering essentially three different questions. And the first one's this, who are we in the gospel? Now, the ninth commandment doesn't spring out of nowhere. It's the ninth, which means there's eight commandments that come before that. And so uh, to do a little bit of recap to kind of get our uh, calibration here, the Ten Commandments do not begin with God giving a list of things to do. The principle here is grace goes first. That's a principle that runs throughout Scripture. Grace goes first always. We can see that from where the Ten Commandments fall in the book of Exodus. It's in chapter 20. It means there's 19 chapters that have gone before this. And when God calls Moses to go into Egypt and declare freedom to his people, that he is freeing them from Egyptian slavery, Moses does not show up on the scene with the Ten Commandments. He doesn't show up and hand them to the people and say, here, do these ten, and once you've done these ten for a long enough time, then God will know you're worthy, and then he'll free you from slavery. No, what does God do? God frees his people dramatically and powerfully apart from anything they've done whatsoever. And only after he's freed them from slavery does he teach them what it means to live as his freed people. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. Because his focus or where he sets our eye, is on him and what he has done. That's why we read those first two verses from Exodus 20 every time. Because God didn't even begin there by listing things to do. He started by telling them who he is. I am the Lord, your God, and what he's done. I've brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Grace goes first, always. And so these first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, they fix our eyes firmly on God. They're describing this uh, vertical relationship with God. How we, as His freed people, are to relate to the God who has freed us. And what do we see? We see we are people who have been found by God's grace. We've been given value we don't need to earn. We've been brought into life-giving, vital relationship with Him and adopted into His family. And then the six, last six commandments, they broaden our view to not just consider our relationship with God, but horizontally to consider our relationship with each other. The last six commandments answer the question, if all of this is true about who God is and what He's done for me, then what does that mean for my relationships with other people? And so we've looked at it in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. This is how to deal with the past and the histories that, and the people that make us who we are. How do we relate to all of that? The sixth commandment, you shall not kill. It's about how we are to be people who are profoundly about life. Human life above all things, above possessions. Above our motivations and, and the things that we may want. That we are to be about the lives of other people. To see them thrive and flourish. That people are the point. The seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. It's about how our bodies matter. God's not just interested in our souls. But he's redeeming who we are and what we do. And our bodies matter. And what we do in our bodies matters. And then last week we looked at the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. And we saw there we are not things. And we are not our things. We are not things ourselves. And we're not our stuff. And that brings us this morning to the ninth commandment. 
which shows us this, our words matter. Our words matter. You know, the Israelites are coming out of slavery in Egypt, and where they were in Egypt, they were people whose voices had been silenced or ignored or mocked. We see it from the very first chapter in Exodus where they had been forced into situations where they had to use their words to lie. The midwives who were commanded by Pharaoh as these Israelite babies are born because Pharaoh's worried, all these people are growing, and if, if the Israelites get too large, then they can take me over. And so he says, well, I need to do some population control. He tells the midwives, if the babies are born and they're boys, kill them. And so the midwives who are helping give birth, you know, helping along in the birthing process, they are forced into a situation where they have to use to deceit. To Pharaoh, he forced them into an impossible situation where they had to use their words as tools of manipulation to keep death from happening. Not only that, they were people who, uh, when they cried out for relief, they asked Pharaoh, like, the the quota is too hard. This hard labor that you've put on us, it's too much. He doesn't listen to them. He says, you're lazy. Get back to work. Their voices had not mattered whatsoever. They had been mocked and silenced and ignored by everyone except for God. God's heard them. He's heard their cry and He has answered. Now God tells us many times in Scripture that His ear is uniquely attuned to the voice of the poor and the oppressed. And here in Exodus, He abundantly Proves it, And now that they've been freed and they've been brought into God's kingdom, not Pharaoh's, the question is, how will they use their words? They've been brought into a new way of life. How am I to use my words? Do I need to use my words and my voice to one-up other people? Do I need to use my words as a tool to manipulate things so they work out the way I need them to? Or do my words even matter? What the ninth commandment teaches them and teaches us is yes, words matter. They are God's people being set free from having to use their words as tools or using their words as tools of manipulation and set free to use their words as gifts to be put to use for His glory and for the good of others. That's what happens to us as well. We live in a world where words are tools, right? We take for granted that salespeople are lying to us all the time. We just take it for granted. It's part and parcel of the way we operate in the world. I'm being lied to when I take my car in for the oil change and they've got the suggested stuff. We take for granted these are these are probably at least stretching the truth. I don't need a new air filter. Now I'm not that's not a knock on mechanics. And sometimes they're not lying to us at all and we find that out a month later when we didn't listen. But we take for granted that we're being, uh, we feel like we're getting half the truth half the time. Think about our court system. We take for granted that a good lawyer is somebody who can use words to manipulate the situation to get their client out of a charge. We take for granted that we live in a world where words, more often than not, are tools of manipulation, not something to be used for God's glory and the good of other people. My point is that we live in a world where we 
take for granted that words can't be trusted and shouldn't be trusted. And in the words of uh, James that opened our service this morning, our call to worship, he said the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. That's some of the most drastic poetic language that we could use to describe the power of words. But what about in God's kingdom? In God's kingdom, God sets the tone. And how does He use His words? How does He use His words? He uses His words for life. He uses His words for justice. He uses His words to save. Take, for instance, in Genesis 1, he uses his words for life. In Genesis 1, the picture is God creates all things by speaking. By speaking. He brings all things to life by speaking, which shows us, in part, that our universe is not just a random collection of atoms that makes stuff up, but it's something with a fundamental purpose and reason. Or think about it, God uses His words to call out injustice. He challenges abuse and oppression. He uses His words to call people to turn away from sin that destroys. God uses His words to comfort and to encourage, to make promises. Or most importantly, God uses His words to save. Think about it, one of the primary ways the New Testament speaks about who Jesus is is as the Word of God. It's in John chapter 1. Jesus is God's Word. What that means for us is Jesus is the primary communication of who God is. And in Jesus, God's words that created and spoke truth, that comforted, those words, in a sense, literally took on flesh. God's Word took on flesh to dwell among us. So His words didn't just remain abstract things spoken But He took on flesh and His Word is embodied in humanity in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Jesus, who He is and what He did, we are hearing or seeing God. So when the Word of God becomes flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, it is God speaking that He does not forget the poor, He does not forget women, He does not forget the powerless. When the Word of God in flesh grows up and He matures in a small village in, a, in the poor and politically unimportant region of Galilee, it is God speaking that He does not overlook the unimportant places, that He isn't just for the powerful. When the Word of God in flesh heals and forgives, when He challenges the religious authorities and the political authorities, it is God speaking that He cannot bear what sin and its effects have done to His world that He created. When the Word of God in flesh is beaten and forgotten and crucified unjustly and put into a grave, it is God speaking that there is no dark corner of the human experience where He will not go to find us. There is no darkness in our world that He will not shine His light into. And when the Word of God made flesh is physically resurrected from the dead, it is God speaking that death will not have the final word about His creation. That the raising of the body of Jesus from the dead is the beginning of a new creation. That God will not stop speaking, in a sense, until all things 
are new. That is how God uses His words. God's word, Jesus, matters. And when we are captured by this grace that is shown, us, shown to us in Christ, He invites us to step in to this reality and to use our words as a witness to this reality. To be witnesses that point to this truth, to the gospel. And that leads me to my next section. How do we live as God's freed people? The ninth commandment speaks specifically of false testimony. This is courtroom language. Um, in God's kingdom, God, words for us are not to be used as tools of manipulation for someone to give false testimony to get what they want or to take advantage of a neighbor. As the Old Testament unpacks the ninth commandment in, in Israel's um, uh, national laws, it's, it's often a protection uh, right alongside speaking of deceit in the courtroom. It's a protection specifically for the poor or for those who maybe don't have the resources to, to uh, in, our, in our world, the resources to hire a good lawyer. It's a reminder to people that the, their words are powerful and their words are important and they're to be used in a way that is truthful and good. Not as tools of manipulation. They're gifts. Gifts to be used copying God and how He uses His words. And that God's will is that there is a foundation of trust in His kingdom where we deal with one another rightly. Because false testimony is no small thing. The Hebrew that was written, our, our uh, English Bible here is a translation, but the Hebrew literally calls this false testimony is to be a witness of violence. You shall not be a witness of violence. The idea here is to provide false testimony is to do violence to another person just as much as hitting them physically would be. Because words are not empty. The critical issue here is how the well-being of others is affected by what we say about them. Now that our words have been set free as being tools of manipulation, we can put them to use the way they were designed to be used. To point to what is true. To affirm what is beautiful. To praise and champion what is good. Our words can, in fact, become a protection for others. A protection for others. God makes clear here and elsewhere in Scripture there's no favoritism to be had in His kingdom. That we are to use our words truthfully. As, as this is unpacked three chapters later in Exodus, Exodus 23, God says this, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a witness of violence. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, they will cry out to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. Our words are to be truthful and fitting and good. Our words are to protect. In fact, that's what Scripture means when it speaks about blessing. You can see it numerous times in the Bible when somebody will use their words to bless somebody else. They'll speak a blessing over them. Um, a blessing is not people saying magic words. It can somebody sometimes be treated that way. You know, there's a number, number of teachers over the years who have taught something like this. Like, uh, we're little gods running around, and if we can just 
speak the right words enough times we can speak things into existence. And that's usually like, you want that car, you want that house, you want that spouse. Speak it into existence. Um, it's like the Jesus version of uh, manifesting something. That's big talk now in, 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 in culture. But um, the idea here, when we use our words to bless, it's not that they're magic words. That's not how things work. Um, using our words to bless someone, not as tools of manipulation again, but for God's glory and for the good of others. Using our words to bless is less us you know, speaking something into existence. It's more like us saying amen to God's blessing. It's more like us adding our amen to what he speaks. Take, for instance, uh, at the end of our service every week, I lift my hands up and I pronounce a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's not me saying magic words, but that doesn't make them any less powerful. When I lift my hands and I say that blessing from Scripture, it is God's words of blessing being announced to us all. Because God is present here and that blessing is being put on us. The way God spoke about it when he gave that blessing to Moses in number six was this is how you place my name on my people. You speak these words. And so when we bless others, we are adding our voice, our amen, to what God says. It is not God giving us magic words or superpowers like we're an X-Man or something. But is God inviting us to copy Him, in a sense, in how we use our words? Us blessing others with our words is joining God, and it is us beginning to, in a sense, learn a new language, the language of His kingdom. And we learn that language in His kingdom exactly how babies learn how to talk, by hearing it spoken and by copying what we hear. That's why one of the most crucial things for the Christian life is Scripture. In Scripture, God has inspired words for us to know who He is and what He's about. And when we meditate on the truth of Scripture, when we study it, it is us like babies learning how to talk. We hear these words, we read them, and we begin to copy how those words are used. And as we grow more in more and more acquainted with what, how God speaks, we go, grow, of course, more and more acquainted with Him. We gain a, gain a greater understanding of how we can use our words, as I've said, not as tools of manipulation to try to make stuff work out for ourselves, but as gifts given to us to glorify God and to bless other people. And that leads me to my last section. How does this freedom lead us to mission? I want to spend a little bit more time unpacking how this commandment leads us to mission, being turned out toward others. Because the danger with the ninth commandment is like all the other commandments that we try to take it so narrowly and we hear, do not you know, give false testimony and we say, okay, don't lie in court, got it. Just like with the sixth commandment, it says do not kill. We're like, okay, I won't murder anybody today, I'm good. Sixth commandment done. This isn't just telling us don't lie in court. <laughs> if we think so, then we're going to miss the fullness of what God's leading us to. As we've explored a bit, this is an entire reorientation of what our words are. And how does this work itself out in our day-to-day -day life? Well, I think one of the ways is that we become a people 
who become more thoughtful about how we speak and even when we speak. This is something I very much struggle with. I, I have the, what do we call it, the gift of gab. I talk. <laughs> and I struggle with this. I like making people laugh. And so sometimes I can be a bit careless with my words. And I've, uh, I've hurt and offended friends and others by just trying to make a joke. Sometimes at somebody's expense or not considering how I can be heard or misunderstood. So when I speak of this, becoming more thoughtful about our words, I'm not meaning this in a legalistic way in the sense of like we become people who obsess over every conversation. It's not what God's calling us into. To, to lay in bed at night and pick over the things we said that day. Oh, have I misused my words? You probably have, actually. We, I think we all sin a bit more than we realize we do. Um, but what I mean is this, that we become purposeful about our words. That we remember the power of words. And that we follow God in using our words to bless others. Now for some of us, this is going to be cutting back on our criticism of others, even if they're not in our presence. Um, we, we're mindful of how words bite and hurt and shape people. Maybe we cut back on criticism, especially if that criticism really kind of does not matter. Maybe we uh, use a little less sarcasm. Maybe it means we begin to purposely reach out to others and to positively use our words to encourage or show compassion, even if it feels awkward. You know, sometimes saying something incredibly kind to somebody, depending on who that person is and the relationship you have, it can feel weird. It can feel vulnerable. Like you're putting yourself out there. You don't know how they're going to respond. But I, it is a rare, uh, at least in my own life, it is a rare occasion that I have regretted reaching out to someone to say a kind word. And in fact, like I said earlier, one of the things that reverberates in my mind and in my memory is times when people did that for me and spoke out with a kind word. I think it was a good example of them following the emphasis of the ninth commandment to use their words to bless. What it does mean for us, absolutely, is that we become people who are protective over our neighbor's name. We become protective of other people's reputation and name. We don't join in on gossip. We don't become a part of breaking people down. We don't become a part of dragging their names in the mud. And above all these things, it absolutely means that we use our words to bear witness to Jesus. One of the way, main ways that the New Testament speaks about Christians, it only uses the word Christian one time in the whole New Testament. One of the main ways it speaks about followers of Jesus is as witnesses. It says it over and over again, being a witness to Jesus. Because we are those who have been swept into the reality of God's grace. And we become witnesses that point to the reality of this grace. Where we can use our words in all of our lives to point to the grace of God and Jesus. Now this doesn't just happen when we use our words well, though it does happen when we use our words well. Like all the commandments, uh, the last six we've talked about, um, one of the ways that the gospel becomes tangible and real to people is when they experience 
being treated differently, when they experience being treated differently by people who follow Christ, it's one of the ways the gospel becomes real and tangible for them. But we also uniquely point as witnesses to Jesus in our weakness, and as I pray often, even in our failure. When we are not swallowed up in despair because we're weak, when we really mess up and we can own it and apologize to somebody, it's a rare thing, it's a truly rare thing in this world, we become witnesses that testify and point to the, the, the greater reality of the gospel for others. As we uh, take seriously what we're talking about this morning, this ninth commandment that our words matter and have power, it points us to mission because we become people who use our words not as tools to manipulate, but as gifts given to us to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. And as I've said, people will notice the difference. When we use our words to speak encouragement and to lift up people, when we use our words to speak truth compassionately and to speak compassion truthfully, People will know the difference. And that difference, it's not just that we started trying to speak differently. The difference is the difference of God's grace. The difference is the difference of God's kingdom becoming more and more visible in our world. I did something like this a couple of weeks ago, but it's a bit of an experiment. And maybe uh, you want to close your eyes for this. I'm not going to do like a magic trick or anything. I promise. I'm not good at it. It's shaky. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I want you to imagine for me, and I want you to think about a time when someone said something to you or about you that cut you to the core, that really ate you up, that you've carried with you. And I want you to think, why, what did they say? What did they say, and why did that thing stick with you, of all the things that somebody could have said? Now, I want you to think of a time when someone said something profoundly encouraging to you. Maybe they praised you for something. Maybe they saw you working hard and they pointed to it. Maybe they just uh, liked something about you. A time when maybe a parent or a teacher or a friend told you something they loved about you and it stuck with you. Now, I want you to hear these words. The true testimony of Jesus from Revelation 21. I am making all things new. Then he said this to John who he was speaking to. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Guys, he's speaking that to us right now. And we are invited to add our amen. God's making all things new. Those words that were said to you that cut you to the core, he's healing that. And if it doesn't happen in the here and now, it will his grace uh, overruns even the poor intentions of others. Those true things that people testified and praised you for, they're true. God made those in you. And I want you to know that he is speaking here, even today, to us. His grace, his compassion, and his kindness. And we're invited right now to follow him in using our words for his glory, for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you show us who you are. 
And it is as our hearts are captured by the goodness and the glory and the beauty of who you are that our hearts begin to be peeled off of the things in this world that cannot satisfy and be peeled off of a way of life that uses words as a tool to manipulate because we think we've got to do it to make ends meet or whatever. And you bring us into your kingdom where we can learn to speak a new, a new language of blessing and goodness and truth and encouragement. So I pray, Lord, as we begin with these, this baby talk <laughs> and these first steps of, of walking in this way of life that you would bless us and help us, may we draw upon your power and not our own. Help us, Lord, we pray. Amen.